Thank you for coming back this evening. Appreciate your attendance. We are on Sunday night going through in 2016 a series called Unswerving. That series is designed to look at verses talking about faith and also look at some life examples from Old Testament and New Testament characters alike. Our theme verse for the series is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And the writer there says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Tonight we're going to look at what I call the builder, studying the character and life of Noah. And what we can learn about his journey with God. Hopefully put that into practice in our own journey. Tonight I wanted to give you a little bit of an illustration from a clip from the miniseries entitled The Bible. This is how they imagined a part of Noah's journey. waters engulfed the world. The Bible describes a new beginning for Noah's descendants. So I always appreciated the way producer Mark Burnett approached that series. Uh, so imaginative, but and yet in many places true to the text. It just obviously takes artistic liberty with the places where the text doesn't say. Uh, explain one part there, Noah's saying on the seventh day God rested. What, what he has in the first part, the patriarchal age, is that's how the word was passed down. So he's telling his family the story of creation. 
He doesn't say open to Genesis 1 because that wouldn't have been available. He passed it down as most of the Bible story has been uh, passed down predominantly through the course of Christian history uh, by, by mouth, by telling. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah's life and legacy is certainly interesting. I'm afraid the thing we remember Noah for the best is not what he had in mind. Of course, we know he built the ark and took a long time to do it and spent a long time in the water. Uh, more than just the 40 days and 40 nights that are best well known. Turn to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. Genesis chapter 6, we'll read along together. <clears throat> Actually, that was the wrong way to say that. I'll read it and you'll listen along together. How about that? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Verse 6 says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the word Noah, a little joke I used to tell with the teens, if you need an ark built, I know a guy. <laughs> okay, Mark Yakely liked that joke, so... Take that for what you will. Uh, the original word in the Hebrew means rest or relief. I found that so fascinating because it seems that in the stories you read it, Noah brings rest to God. Noah brings relief to God from the regret that he has from all of the sin and all of the, the wickedness that had come. It's almost like... Genesis 6 tells us that God's experiment with free will had gone wrong. He said, okay, time to hit the reset button. Time to start all over. And Noah comes along in the middle of that story, but Noah, reminding us not only of, of how God considers good and evil, how patient he is for those who are good and faithful and righteous, we learn clearly uh, that Noah was also a relief to us and from God's wrath and God's judgment. I particularly like the video clip. One reason that I liked it so much is that it depicts the, the awfulness and the tragedy that was the flood. People at my stage of life take little children, they're getting ready to have a newborn, you know, and they want some sort of nursery theme, and so they paint a little ark on there with happy little animals. 
that's not what the flood was about. <laughs> it was a very, very sad occasion. There were people that died by drowning. Little children, old people, adults, animals. It, it was a travesty. Um, I know in the world today there's a lot of thought and time putting into saving the planet. doesn't seem to be a big deal to God. He's wiped it out once by water and promises to do it again by fire. God has easily, in the span of seven days, made and filled this entire creation. But he can do 10,000 planets just like that, like that. What we hold on so dearly is our home. God seems to be reminding us through Noah's story and again through the story of the Judgment Day is not. Four simple lessons I think we can get uh, from Noah's life. You're paying attention to the PowerPoint. You've already got the first point because I hit the button. First is Noah lived from faith. Of course, Genesis 6 tells, tells us this. Uh, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's interesting. What about Noah in particular impressed God? Because I always thought you can't really impress your God. You, you can't really impress God with your faith, rather. No, uh, Isaiah says that all of our righteousness, the righteous of the righteousness, like filthy rags before God compared with his holiness. So I, although Scripture does tell us it was righteous that he was a righteous man i believe what what caused noah to find favor in god's eyes was not necessarily his righteousness but his faith blameless among the people of his time he walked faithfully with god now how he did that pre-flood we don't know but obviously he was a righteous obedient god-fearing man who tr always tried to do what was right. And he was faithful to God over a long period of time as he began to build the ark. He was a righteous man in an unrighteous age. Peter gives us a little bit of insight. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says this, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Not only implies an obedient life, a faithful life, a righteous life, but a, a vibrant and intimate relationship with God. That God knew Noah not just from having knit him together, but, but Noah, it seems, in, his, in everything that he did, endeavored to know God. The scripture tells us in James that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. I think this is what happened in the relationship with God and Noah. And that's how he lived. Uh, the, the story of him building the ark is a story of faith and trust and belief in God. But it wasn't like Noah started right there. His entire life was obedience and righteousness and doing what God required. He also took his role as a patriarch seriously. Assuming no generational breaks, uh, if we just run from the text, Noah is tenth, the tenth generation from Adam. And 
Interestingly, Enoch, who walked with God, who didn't die, would have been his great-grandfather. So that, to me, is impressive, especially in the age when they're living for such long periods of time, that Noah would have watched his grandfather, great-grandfather Enoch and how he walked, and somehow that was impressive enough where he was able to adapt that walk as well. He not only received a legacy of faith then, but he passed it on to his children. And that's a big task. We were talking in our small group tonight about how uh, to do that. If you come from your own family, as we talked about this morning, leaving your family, if that family that you left didn't have a God-centered worldview, it's very difficult. You're starting at ground level. But if you have come from a God-fearing family, uh, there's another level of responsibility to take the blessing that you've been given and pass it on to your children. Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I think that's speaking broadly, not just speaking of financial inheritance, but uh, much more of eternal significance, the spiritual inheritance. So as you think about your role as a grandparent or a great-grandparent or a parent, uh, take that role seriously. And not only just in receiving it, if you have, but in passing it on to your children. Noah had faith in God's promise. Um, if we read through the story in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, there's a couple places where it specifically points out that Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded. And I, I think that's important because it's easy for me to pick parts of the Bible that, you know, they don't point to sins that I struggle with. So I can, you know, those are easy. It's the ones that I struggle with, that I, that I wrestle with, that tempt my flesh that, uh, I don't know, Noah was a guy who not only obeyed God in what was easy, he obeyed God in what was difficult. And that's part of faith as well. Okay, secondly, Noah built uh, in both fear and love. Both fear and love. The, the verse from Hebrews says, In holy fear he built an ark to save his family. Start with the why is a very important, as you think strategically about anything, why am I building this ark? Uh, no one else was doing it, for sure. We don't have any record that there was even rain, let alone flood. Uh, this was a different type of world that he began building in. Now, we, we're all in post-flood world. and We see at least localized floods a lot. You know, we get it. Water everywhere makes a mess of things. But in pre-flood world, this is not, what is this stuff dropping from the ground? It doesn't seem to be stopping. Maybe we should seek higher ground. Well, we're up here now, what do we do? I mean, this was a, <laughs> this was something they hadn't faced. It was truly paradigm shift. It was going to require life sacrifice. The scripture tells us um, that in Genesis 5, verse 32, he was 500 when he, when he was called to build the ark. And Genesis chapter 7, verse 6 tells us he was 600 years old at the flood. 
So at, at most 100 years that he put in building the ark. We get the question from time to time, how did Noah build the ark? I mean, that was a huge, that was an engineering feat, bigger than a lot of modern buildings. And we presume he didn't have, you know, cranes and backhoes and all sorts of the technology that goes into building modern structures, let alone building boats. You have to use certain ratios and waterproofing and all of that. How did he do it? Well, I think God instructed him, one. Uh, and two, he had a lot of time, about a century. And did he have help? Scripture doesn't say. Maybe he did. But it certainly took a significant portion where for, a, let's just say, a century, it was focused on building the boat. Focus on building the boat. Every day was consumed with that from, from ground all the way up. What would that have brought? Certainly ridicule and persecution. Uh, in, a, in a godless world, that's going to happen. In a godless world where you start doing something that God from heaven called you to do that's totally radical, you, you better believe it's going to happen. It's almost a guarantee. So there was a lot of reasons to not do it. But here's Noah's why. Because his faith was in the promise of God. And that wasn't just about the promise of a worldwide destruction. It was faith in the promise of God and in his word. That's why Noah lived the life they did, because he believed God. It all comes really down to that, doesn't it? For people of faith, you have to decide at some point whether or not you're going to believe God or not. I hope that you do. Noah believed that his wrath and his destruction were coming. Um, and even though it would be a long time away from the first time he was called till the, the first raindrop fell, uh, that fear didn't let up. In our world, sometimes we shy away from the fear of God. Even in churches, I, many times... From this pulpit, I've heard explained, well, fear is really just about respect. I get what you're saying, but every time I read in the scripture about a person, an unholy person coming into contact with a holy being, we'll just use angels as an example who are lower than God, what is the number one reaction that they have? Fear, dread. <laughs> When Isaiah, who was a righteous man, got to go in, in, in a vision or somehow to see the, the throne room of God, the kingdom of heaven, his reaction was, woe, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips and an unclean heart. There was just this fear and dread. And I'm not going to shy away from that. I, I think there's a, a point at which... Faith in God legitimately begins with fear of God when you consider his righteousness and his holiness. Now, yes, there's love and goodness and mercy and grace. We don't ignore those things. But to our detriment do we ignore the fear of God, the holiness of his name and his word. And I, I think if we don't start there, we'll never get to love. 
And the very poorest illustration I think I've used before is with my children. My children fear me. And when I, when I sh- use that tone of voice and shout their name, I mean, it just sh- sends shivers down their spine. That's fear. Will that work forever? Probably not. Now, do they know I love them? Yes. Does there need to be both fear and love? Yes. It's not a bad thing to fear God. And to me, saying that you fear God and saying like you respect him, like you respect your boss or somebody who's very successful in business, is just almost sacrilege. It falls way short of understanding the holiness of God. And I think all of us, when we get there, on that first day of the throne room, and we step in, and we're just the size of it, the magnitude, the holiness, the purity that we can't even understand. Our natural reaction ought to be fear. To understand that, that he is God and he is holy. Now, Noah was motivated by fear, but he was also motivated by love. That's why it says he built an ark to save his family. It wasn't fear of his family. It was his love for them that drove it. He he was willing to do it, even though by all scriptural understanding of Noah, Noah, he wasn't an equipped expert. He just had trust and faith and fear and love, fear of God and love of his family. All he had you think about it, was his hands, his mind, the instructions of God, whether they were written down, probably not, um, or spoken to him. That's all he needed to do this incredible thing that he did. He's motivated by the trust in God and his promise. Um, The ark, the ark was a legacy, uh, was a vessel rather of deliverance. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Third, Noah left a legacy. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with his faith. Noah's best known legacy is, of course, the ark. But, and this is a picture of where some people think the remnants of the ark lie, then the measurements, and the, you know, it seems to look kind of boatish in shape. Uh, but we really don't know. I think to focus so much on that vessel ignores the true point and importance of what Noah did. That legacy, that legacy, the, the righteousness and faith would not have happened if he didn't, one, trust God in faith and holy fear, and two, sincerely love his family enough to build. The story is told of a preacher's kid. And the preacher was pretty well known and was quite the speaker and invited to a lot of places, and traveled and spoke. And he was not just a preacher, he was an itinerant traveling, you know, paid extra to do it kind of, kind of preacher. And in doing all of that, he let his family kind of fall where it just... They were, they were waffling. His, his son was struggling, was having 
behavioral problems and trouble at school and attitude problems. And so the preacher, he canceled all of his appointments, and he came home. And he did ministry from home, where he certainly would not receive the notoriety and and the, the fame and the acclaim and the accolades that he would have received speaking to much larger, larger audiences all over the nation and the world. He did that because he loved his son and because he understood there was more to, uh, there was so much more than what this world had to offer. But of anything that he would receive, the worst thing that could ever happen would be for his son to face his Lord and Savior, and for his Lord and Savior to say, away from me, I never knew you. So he came home. And he did what good fathers do. Now, the preacher's kid turned out okay, and he he ended up doing pretty well, maybe even surpassing his father in terms of well-knownness. If I say to you the name James Dobson, you know who that is. James Dobson was that boy, but he was that, he became the man we know because the dad, good man that he was, did what he needed to do to save his family. Tremendous example that Noah left. His deeper, longer lasting legacy is far beyond the ark. It's his faith in God. Listen to this from 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is a long section, so if you want to turn there, follow along. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. Peter writes this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. In 2 Peter chapter 3, now verse 4, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Don't you know Noah was asked that more than a few times, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years after he started? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Noah, worldwide flood. Where's the rain, buddy? Whatever word they would have used. We don't see any water. But they deliberately, verse 5, forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, this is where it gets our application part. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. 
and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will be bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements with, will melt in the heat. We are one good-sized solar flare from being done. It's all just in his hands. And what we think takes forever, I mean, in Noah's story, if a thousand years are like a day with God, you know, that, that hundred years was like a couple of hours for God. But in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. His legacy was his faith. His faith must be our faith in the same God, the same promises, the same destruction, the same wrath coming, and the same day which we look forward to. I look forward to it, but if I, it's during my lifetime, it will be a terrible day, followed by the most amazing day you've ever had in your life or in the life to come. Number four, Noah offers us this example. Righteousness. Even if the world stands against you, do what God says. Seek his favor first. Uh, human beings, they'll come and they'll go with their favor, with their accolades, criticisms, and so forth. But you please God. Secondly, in his, his example of faith, heed all of God's promises. It's fun to believe in heaven. It's fun to think about heaven. But there's also promises of hell as well. And you have to pay people a whole lot for be, to be okay with them going there. And that's why I think Noah was a preacher. He was trying to warn them, walk with God, listen to God, obey God. In the end, only he and his family came on board. His legacy of family. I may want to save the entire world, but saving the world starts with saving those in my own home. My number one responsibility as the head of the Levering family is to see to it that my wife, Christy, my son, Tyler, and my daughter, Grace, get to heaven. And as parents, sometimes we miss so much. We're distracted by so many other things that are of no importance. This is of supreme importance. Fourthly, a legacy and an example of fear. Holy fear is good. Think about this for a minute. Judgment Day, imagine that you're in line grouped by your family. You stand there with your spouse, with your children. You talk about holy fear, about being in that line when it's by yourself. What about if it's your family with you? Will there be, will there be just dread in their eyes and fear and sadness? Will there be remorse and regret in your own heart? Let a little holy fear motivate you. And finally, the flood. And, of course, this is where we probably should bring it to a close. 
Baptism saves you and I just as the flood saved Noah and his family. What You mean it saved people? Yeah, it saved people because it washed away the evil that was so prevalent. Without water, salvation would not have happened either then or now. First Peter 3, Peter goes on to say, To those who were disobedient long ago, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. See, I thought it was the ark. But Peter says it was the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe in the resurrection and you want to put your life into the resurrection promise, you've got to get in the water. Not necessarily that water, but some water. You have to put Christ on in baptism. The scripture is so clear. So what is the lesson you will learn? Well, that's your choice. But I hope you will not leave the story of Noah just as the story of a guy who built an ark, but of a guy who had tremendous faith and fear and love for a holy God. If you have that, I want to invite you. Um, next week will be uh, our own Doug Wagner. He graciously agreed to fill in the pulpit while I uh, will be away this week and unable to do prep for the message so I invite you back to hear him next time. He promised revival in the church. That's what you said, right? Revival in the church. Okay. So tonight, uh, maybe there's not revival in the church, but perhaps God's doing revival in your heart and in your life through the word, through his spirit, and you're ready to get in the water. Well, don't waste any time. Come forward. I'll meet you down front. We'll help you in any way that we can. Or if you need our prayers and encouragement, we'd love to do that too. As together we stand and sing.